All right. Um, so last week, uh, we started this new series called In Him. And uh, we've been studying the entire book of Ephesians. And one of the threads that you can see uh, woven throughout this entire book is Paul using this phrase, in him, to remind believers that we are deeply connected in Christ. And so this is a phrase that he uses about 36 times to communicate this amazing reality that we are connected uh, deeply in Christ. And this is a connection that goes beyond the superficial. It's more than just us coming to church or knowing religious rules to follow. When Paul talks about us being connected in him, he wants us to know that this relationship, this is a deep relationship that changes every aspect of our lives. We are made new creation because we are in him. We are powerful, empowered by the Holy Spirit because we are in him. We are given a new identity, a new life, radically transformed from the inside out because we are in him. Being in Christ is not just a superficial relationship. Paul wants us to know it's a deep connection that penetrates everything about our lives, how we think, how we talk, things that we desire, how we treat one another, and also our purpose in life. And so we see throughout the Bible, God gives us several illustration pictures to help us understand what that relationship looks like. The relationship that we have in him, this deep, intimate relationship. The Bible gives us this illustration of marriage. We find this in Ephesians chapter 5. When two people become one flesh, they are connected deeply, intimately, passionately, completely. And so just like marriage, just like marriage, believers are in him, connected intimately with Christ. The Bible also gives us this illustration about the body in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 4, where Jesus is the head and we are his body. And we know that the head and the body are deeply connected to give whole, the whole body life and to guide the body. And so just like the body, Jesus is the head and we are his body deeply connected in him. And he gives us life and he directs our lives. We have this illustration of the vine and the branch in John chapter 15. We are the branch and he is the vine and we are deeply connected in him to grow, to survive, to produce fruits. And just like this picture, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches intimately connected in him. And Jesus says that if we disconnect from him and if we come apart from him, we will wither and die. We are deeply connected in him. And then we have this beautiful illustration of the clothing in Galatians chapter 3. We are clothed in Christ, dressed in his robe of righteousness. Isaiah gives us this picture, right? In him we are covered completely. Our sins are covered. Our guilt are covered. Our shame is covered, right? And we are covered from the wrath of of God. He makes you look good, right? He makes you look acceptable. You are acceptable in the sight of God because you are deeply in him, covered in his righteousness. And so this is the heart of this series. 
We are in Christ, and when we understand that reality, it changes who we are and how we live. Now, last week, Dahadi covered the first part of chapter 1, the opening of this letter, letter, where Paul was expressing this joy and this excitement when he heard about the faith and love of the believers in Ephesus. And so what I want to do is kind of give us a quick context to kind of set this up, right? Paul, he gets this news somehow about this church in Ephesus that he had helped start, right, years ago, and this church was doing really good. They were thriving. They're thriving in their faith spiritually, and also they are thriving in their relationship with each other. Their faith and love had become contagious throughout Rome. Jews and Gentiles, male and female, rich and poor, people from all different race and background. They were living together as family, and that community became very contagious in Rome. Other churches were trying to model after this church in Ephesus. And this is why this letter wasn't just written to just this church, but this letter was supposed to be circulated throughout that entire region to other churches. And so this type of love and faith spread throughout Rome, even in the midst of Christians being killed for following Jesus. And so this is one of the reasons why Paul is now sitting in, in jail writing this letter of encouragement to this church in Ephesus. He was arrested because he was preaching about this faith and love. And so somehow this news gets to Paul about this movement and this revival that kind of broke out in Rome, which leads him to pen this letter. And he's writing this letter, and he gets so excited, and and Dahadi kind of shared this, he gets so excited, and he breaks out into this worship. This mini doxology in verses 3 to 14. He starts praise dancing in jail, right? And when you think about that, by the way, listen, when we come to church, it's okay to praise God and it's okay to dance a little, right? Just a little because we'll look at you crazy if you do too much, <laughs> right? But really, it's okay to praise God. Because we go to football games and basketball games and Beyonce concert and we worship. We get excited for these things. But then we come into the house of God and we're stiff. We're not free. It's okay to be free. Paul was worshiping and praising in jail, in chains, when he heard about the faith and love of these people. Right? And so Paul gets this news. In verses 3 to 14, he couldn't help himself. He started praising, and then he paused, and he prays. And this is verses 15 through 23. He prays for this church, and he prays for this movement that's happening in Rome. And so this, Paul, this prayer that Paul prays is divided into four sections. And we're going to look at those four sections. And this is the prayer that we as pastors pray for you. And this is what we pray for you every single day. The first part of Paul's prayer, he prays that we may know God more intimately, verses 15 through 18. Then the second part of his prayer, he prays that we may know God's calling in our lives, in verse 18. And then he prays that God's uh, incredible, uh, for us to know God's incredible value, 
that God, he, the incredible value he placed on our life, and then that we may know God's amazing power living in us. And so those are the four parts that we're going to look at, right? So in verse 15, Paul prays for the believers to know God more intimately, right? To know God more intimately. Verse 15, he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, in your love towards one another, all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I love that, right? Paul, just imagine, Paul, he is sitting in jail. He is thinking about these believers, and he's like, I am constantly praying for you. Man, that's the heart of a pastor, that even in chains, even in the challenging situation that he's in, he cannot stop think, thinking. It can't, he can't stop thinking about the people that God has given him the shepherd, right? Paul is in jail, and I want you to think about that. He's praying ceaselessly. Sorry, stop, uh, uh, stop, uh, he can't stop praying for these believers. And you know what? I want to encourage you. As pastors, we're praying for you, constantly thinking about you, and I hope you are doing the same for us, right? We have challenges in our lives, but man, you can ask my wife. I'm like constantly thinking, oh man, what's going on? Responding to emails or thinking about people, wanting to meet people. But man, I hope prayer goes for us as well. You don't stop praying for us because we need it, right? And so Paul is in the situation. It says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in our prayer that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And so essentially what Paul is praying is for God to give us the spirit of revelation and wisdom to open our eyes to know him more and to know him more intimately. He's asking for God to give us a spirit to want him more and not to be satisfied or complacent with where we are. Don't be complacent and satisfied with where we are. And so Paul asks, listen to what he says. He asks for God to give us, right, this spirit, to give us the spirit of wisdom, to give us the spirit of revelation. And the reason why he is asking for God to give us the spirit is because this spirit is not naturally in us. This desire is not naturally in us, and this is why Paul is asking to give this to us. We don't naturally crave or desire to know God. We don't naturally crave or desire to know God. Even though we were created to know God and to love Him and to submit to His good and loving plan for us, we see from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, we didn't like what we knew about God or what we knew about God's plan for our lives. We wanted to be our own God, and we wanted to rule our lives without Him. And even as believers, even as Christians, we don't naturally desire to know God more. Because what we do is we sometimes put limits to how much we know of God, because the more we know of God, the more he requires of us. 
the more he requires of us, the more he exposes us, and the more we understand ourselves, right? Think about it. The more we know of God's holiness, we end up seeing how radically sinful we are. We end up seeing God's standards for our lives. And we end up seeing things about ourselves that God wants us to change. He starts challenging us, right? Or things about our hearts that we desire that God wants us to give up. And so the more we know about God, the more he exposes our heart. And so some of us don't want to know more of God in this way because we don't want him to mess with our lives, right? And so we don't naturally want this. And so this is why Paul is saying, man, God, give us this spirit of revelation. Give us the spirit of wisdom because this is not a spirit that is naturally in us to want more, right? To not be complacent. He's saying, God, help us to go deeper because the more we know of God, the more he opens the eyes of our hearts to give us wisdom and revelation to do deep work in us. And notice, listen, notice that Paul didn't say, give us eyes, right? Open the eyes of our minds. But he says, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. He didn't say open our, the eyes of our minds because he's not talking about knowing God more intellectually, having an intellectual knowledge of him. He's not talking about knowing God through information or facts. In our Christian culture, we sometimes place too much emphasis on knowledge and information about God than knowing God, right? We have this tendency of reducing Christian maturity to intellectualism. And what I mean by that, we oftentimes determine someone's godliness based on how much godly information they know. And so what happens is we determine whether someone should be leaders or should have platform or speak on stage or invite them to conferences or sit under the teaching on Instagram or on TikTok, listen to their podcasts, buy their music, because they sound theologically and biblically smart. And we determine that is what maturity is. And then what we also do is sometimes we even dismiss or overlook maturity because some people don't sound theologically smart. We're de determining maturity with intellectualism and information. And so just because some people don't sound intelligent as other Christians, we think that they don't have depth. They don't have wisdom. They're not maturity. They, they don't have maturity. They don't have understanding of God. And so I sometimes have to wrestle with my own heart when it comes to that. Because sometimes I see myself chasing after having knowledge about God than just knowing God. And sometimes I have to ask myself, Carly, do you just want to be a professional Christian? A very intelligent Christian? Or do you just want to know God and love God well? And so that is honestly a wrestle I have in my own heart. And it's very tempting 
And it's very dangerous for us to think that maturity is based on how much we know. Right? And so when we do that, it only leads to shallow Christianity. A shallow faith. A Christianity that the Bible describes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 5, having a form of godliness, but there's no power in it. Right? Having a form of godliness, but is impotent, weak. A Christianity that looks good and sounds good, but still living in sin. A Christianity that looks good and sounds good, but still can't control their tongue still have unforgiveness in their heart, still sexually immoral, deep down inside don't really know a love God, a form of godliness, but there's no power in it. Because true spiritual maturity is not just about knowing all the facts, but it's about a deep experience. It's about knowing God and not just about God. It's about growing in our faith and growing in our love. It's about our eyes, the eyes of our hearts being open to see the beauty of God and wanting more of that. That is what true maturity is. And that is what Paul is saying. I hope God will open your eyes to want that. To want that. The second part of Paul's prayer He prays that we may know the hope of our calling, the calling of God in our lives. And so Paul is asking for God to give us a deeper understanding of our identity in Christ, a deeper understanding of who we are and how we are called to live. He says, the eyes of our hearts enlighten that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you to. Do you know your calling? Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? Right? We all want to know our purpose in life, and it makes a big difference when we know our identity because it affects how we live. Right? I remember seeing this interview with Jay-Z, right? Don't stole me. Um, and this, this interview, he was talking about when he first got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And this is a very prestigious acknowledgement where it cements you as a, a, a legend, a music legend. And so he was driving with his daughter to school. And so his daughter was in a car on her phone and he gets a call and then he hears it and then he gets off the phone and he's excited and he's telling his daughter like, yo, I am gonna be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then the, da- the daughter is still, like, texting. And he's like, Blue, like, did you hear me? This is a celebration. I'm going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And she's like, okay, that's cool, Dad. And so he pulls off, um, and then he stops at the school to drop her off. And he's like, Blue, listen, can you celebrate with me? Just give me a kiss. Like, this is a, a, a really important moment for me. Right? She slams the door, and she, says, she just says, bye, Dad and she walks off, right? She just walks off. And so to her, it was just another day. It was just another day not realizing that she was the daughter of a music legend, right? She was the daughter of a music legend and not realizing and appreciating that she was deeply connected to someone who is great, right? And so what Paul's desire for us is for us to see 
that we're not just connected or we're not connected to like a Jay-Z or we're not connected to a music legend or a father who is rich or a father who is powerful. But Paul wants us to know that our father who we are connected to is more powerful than any man. He's more of a legend. He's a king of the universe. He's more wealthy. He's more wealthy because he owns all things. He's our father. He's our God. Don't see it as just another thing or just another relationship or live in that truth as if it's just another day. Don't live your life missing out on this glorious connection that you have with a great God because that makes you great as well, right? When we realize who we are and whose we are, it changes everything about how we see ourselves and how we live. We are extraordinary people called to live extraordinary lives. We weren't called to give ourselves to sinful pleasures. We weren't called to live discouraged and hopeless lives. We are called to be sons and daughters of a victorious king, right? So listen, think about when we forget the hope of our calling. Think about when we forget that reality. Think about when we forget that we are forgiven and redeemed people, right? We can easily get trapped in a cycle of guilt and shame that prevents us from moving forward and live, live a life where we don't see our value we dwell in our past, we dwell in our failures, replaying them in our mind, judging ourselves, letting that define us, and all the while we are forgetting our worth, right? Think about when we forget we are empowered people. We may fall into the trap of believing that our temptation or our addiction are too strong for us to overcome and leading us to feel helpless and defeated and discouraged to fight, or maybe relying on our own strength, even though we know our best is never enough. But all the while, the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit is in us to help us overcome any temptation and addiction. Think about when we forget that we are adopted, adopted as God's children into his family. And this could lead us to forgetting that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, which leads us to fighting each other, gossiping about each other, just caring only about our desires, feeling lonely or isolated, and all the while God placed you in a family, his family. And think about when we forget we are called to live for eternity right? This could lead us to becoming attached to this world, attached to material things, and become consumed with temporary pleasures, making money, having status, have success, believing that all of these things will bring happiness and fulfillment. But then all the while, those fleeting things are robbing you of your eternal joy, right? We forget sometimes who we are and what we are called to live and how we are called to live. 
And so we need to remember our calling, remember our identity, and we need to ask God to open the eyes of our hearts to help us remember who we are and whose we are and give us a hope and a confidence to walk in that. The third part of Paul's prayer, he asked for God to give us a deep understanding of how much we are valued, how much we are valued, that you may know the hope to which he has called you to, the riches of his glory, and and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So this third part of Paul's prayer is so encouraging when you look at it very closely. At first glance, you may read this and think that Paul is talking about an inheritance, a blessing that we get in Christ, which is true. We do have a blessing or an inheritance in Christ. When we give our life to Jesus, we are blessed. God gives us a quality of life that is far better than any quality of life that we can try to create for ourselves, right? Every single one of us are chasing some type of quality of life. As human beings, we want happiness and we want peace. And maybe you want to be very successful or financially secure to provide for your family, to enjoy life, to travel and see the world or maybe to be financially generous, to help and give to the poor. We want to level up in life. We want to chase big things. And listen, all of those things are very good. Do them. Chase them. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the quality of life that God gives us is not found in those things because all of those things will get old, will get boring, and they're passing away. Because even the ones who have it all, all the wealth, all the possession, all the success, are still chasing more. They're still chasing more, right? And the more they have, the more they realize that it's not satisfying. But listen, in Jesus, we find a true blessing, a true treasure, a reward, a reward that is greater than all things, and that reward is knowing God. It's knowing God. And so, yes, God may bless us in many ways, even with material blessing and success, but the greatest reward he gives us is himself. But the problem is our eyes are blind to see that the quality of that blessing, that treasure, or that inheritance is better than all those other things. And so we need God to open our eyes to see that. However, listen, in verse 18... This is not what Paul is talking about here. He talked about that in verse 11, the blessing or the inheritance that we have in Christ. However, in this verse, Paul is talking about how blind we are to see that we are God's inheritance, right? Listen to what he says. We are God's inheritance. When we look at it, he says the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In his holy people. God has an inheritance in his holy people. He placed this treasure in us to be his trophy of grace. He treasures us. Do you feel like you are treasured by God? Do you feel that you are treasured by God? Do you ever feel like you are a blessing to God? 
Do you ever feel that way? Listen, we spend enough time dealing with people in our lives, whether it's our families, our friends, our spouses, or any relationship that we're in, dealing with people who don't see our worth or our value. And even when they should see our worth and our value, they don't treasure us. And so sometimes it causes us to question, do I have worth? Am I someone worth loving? Do I really matter? And it could make it really hard for us to believe that God really sees us. And he places value in us. He treasures us, right? Or he sees us as his holy people. It's crazy that God will see us as his holy people. God, do you know who I am? That you would call me your holy people? God, do you know how broken I am? That you would see me as your treasure? How far from being holy I am? Right? It's crazy that God would treasure us as his holy people. It makes you think that God is catfishing himself, or God is the one that's blind, that his eyes need to be open. Like, how do you see me this way? But this is exactly what Paul wants us to see, that we are his treasure, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We are the treasure of his marvelous grace. We are more precious, more priceless than anything in his creation. That is how he views you. We are loved. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are redeemed, lavished with grace, filled with his spirit, anointed, appointed, given purpose, empowered, transformed, made holy, made righteous. What more can God do or say to prove to you that he is excited about you? that he's excited that you have worth and you have value. I want you to see this verse in Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah three seventeen. It says, The Lord your God is with you, mighty warrior who save. He will take great delight in you. And in his love, he will no longer rebuke, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Such a beautiful verse to describe how God treasures his people, that the treasure that God finds in us causes him to rejoice. And that word rejoice gives a picture of God dancing around and singing with great delight because he finds a treasure in you. What great delight he finds in us. And God doesn't just save us just for us to find pleasure in him. Yes, he does, and we find pleasure in him. But he saves us to find pleasure in us as well. And that's something that is hard for us to fathom, that God finds pleasure in us. And so this is what Paul wants us to understand. We are his holy people, his glorious inheritance, and he finds great delight in us.
The fourth part of Paul's prayer, he asks for God to help us understand the great power living inside of us. The great power living inside of us. He prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in heaven. For above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet, appointing him as head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. This is the power that Paul is saying is living in you. You are more powerful than you realize. You're more powerful than you realize. And when Paul talks about this incredible, immeasurable power that is in us, he's not talking about the power to heal or the power to speak things into existence or the power to do great miracles. And yes, I believe God can do all these great things in us and through us, and I'm not going to put God in a box and just limit him that he can't do those things. I think he still can do a lot of great things in us. But Paul is not talking about that power. There's a power that is greater than that. It's the power of resurrection that's in us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, Paul is saying, is in us. It's the same power that seated Jesus at the right hand of God, giving him authority over all spiritual, demonic, or physical powers in our lives. This is the same power that is in us. And it's the same power that gives the church, that he gives to the church to properly represent him on earth, to represent him as his ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ, children of God, disciples of Jesus, his new creation, his saints, his holy temple, his witnesses. And notice that all of these things are things that we cannot do on our own strength. None of this we can do in our own strength. And so we can't live this life that God has called us to live and be the people that God has called us to be in our own power. But this power that Paul is talking about is immeasurable. It's greater than our own, greater than demonic powers, greater than the powers of addiction. This power that we possess, Paul says, this power that we have cannot just be something that we work for or work to get. This is not a power that we possess in our own strength, but this is a power that we get to access. This is not a power we possess, but this is a power that we access. However, we can only access this power in weakness. Only in weakness. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, right, where he says, listen, my grace, and this is God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on, he says, I'm not going to boast. I will boast all the more then in what? 
my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness and insult and persecution and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Power is access in our weakness. And the reason why many of us are powerless Christians is because we are too confident in ourselves. We're too confident in ourselves. We don't like to submit. We don't like to surrender. We put confidence in our knowledge and we confuse knowledge and content about God for power. And then even with clear knowledge, listen, even with clear knowledge about God, why is it that some of us are still, still in sin and can't overcome the sins in our lives? Even with clear knowledge. Or we pay money to sit in Christian conferences and read books and listen to sermon and podcasts, but then why is it that we still can't resolve conflicts in our relationship? Power is not found in those things. And the reason why we're still powerless as Christians is because we are too prideful and we're too dependent on ourselves. We boast. This is what Paul is saying. We boast in our flesh. We boast in our flesh. And we don't like to admit that we are weak. And Paul is saying, no, for when I am weak, when I am weak, I am strong, right? And this is why I don't boast in my flesh. We don't like to admit that we need help. We don't like to admit we need accountability. We're too confident in ourselves, and that confidence and that pride and that dependency on ourselves will hinder us from experiencing the full knowledge of God or the full power of God. That will hinder you from experiencing the full power of God. But then we see it's in our weakness, in our dependency, in our surrendering, we are most able to experience the full strength of God working in us and through us to enable us to live a powerful and victorious life. And those are the four things that Paul is praying for us. And those are the four things that we want to pray for you. I want to pray for myself, Right? And I know there are some of us today who may not feel this power that Paul is talking about dwelling inside of them today. But would you be willing to be vulnerable today? Vulnerable in your city groups? Vulnerable with the people that God has placed in your life? Would you be willing to surrender all to God completely? Seek accountability so that you might find strength and that this power would be made perfect in your weakness. I know there are some of us today who don't see the wealth and the value God has placed in us, and we don't see that we are treasured by God, special people or holy people. But would you be willing to trust in God and believe in what he says, that you are his inheritance and that he went far to pursue this treasure that's in you, to redeem you, to make you this holy people 
And I know there are some of us today who are still trying to figure out who we are. And I pray that God would open the eyes of our hearts to see that we are sons and we are daughters of the Most High King. Right? Jesus came to this earth. He lived this life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved to redeem us and to buy us and to adopt us, to make us sons and daughters of this king. Would God open your eyes today to see who you are and what you are called to and have the hope and the confidence to walk in that calling? And if we are here and we're hoping to experience God more or deeply, I pray that you never settle. You never get too complacent with where you are. There's more that God wants to reveal. There's more wisdom. There's more revelation about himself. So much of God, so much of his love, so much of his will, right, that he wants to reveal to us. Don't settle for the superficial. Don't settle for where you are. Don't settle for just knowing a lot of information about God. Right? Desire to go deeper and more intimate with God. Father, I pray um, the same prayer for our church. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.